Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, Psalm 103, verses 8 to 13, Romans 14, verses 1 through 12, and Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Imagine that you were selected to go to a distant galaxy where we had detected intelligent life. And when you got there, you discovered that there was a civilization utterly devoid of forgiveness. It wasn't that the species had decided long ago not to forgive. It's simply that they had no concept of forgiveness. Every offense against another broke a relationship, except possibly when there was full restitution made. There was no trust in this alien society. There were practically no families, at least not that we would recognize, because the children couldn't forgive their parents for not giving them what they wanted, and the parents couldn't forgive their children for their childish behavior. Marriages would also be virtually non-existent. The society would be a police state where every agreement was enforced by law. In short, and calling it a society is probably too generous. It would be a species of individuals who rely on others, but only through the intermediary of the law. What a sad place that would be. Our little thought experiment shows us that forgiveness is sort of the underpinning of all civilization and even ethics. Apart from a sinless society without forgiveness, there could be no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control? Yes. Because keep in mind that we have to forgive ourselves on a regular basis in order to keep trying. Without self-forgiveness, we would simply give up after our first failure and wallow in self-disappointment. Our gospel lesson today from Matthew 18 demonstrates that our only option is to choose forgiveness or the law. And true faith in Jesus leads us to a forgiving heart. Today's scripture passage takes place in Galilee like the last two weeks. Chapter 18 appears to be entirely dedicated to Jesus teaching his disciples alone. It's interesting that just before today's passage, we have the lesson that includes church discipline that we discussed last week, where Jesus tells his disciples how to restore one who sins against you. The emphasis last week was on the process of restoration in community, but focuses entirely on the responsibility of those who sinned. That person can apologize all they want, but without forgiveness by those who are harmed, restoration is impossible. Today's passage starts with Peter asking a question of Jesus, and the rest is Jesus' answer to him in the form of a parable. Peter was probably processing what Jesus had just said about restoring one who has committed an offense against you when he asked, Lord, How many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter is picking up on Jesus' teaching on restoration within the body of believers. Notice that Peter's question isn't about forgiveness in general, but about forgiving a brother, or in other words, a fellow believer. 
it's safe to assume that Peter was not contemplating forgiving Romans or other Gentiles at this point. Peter also likely had in mind the rabbinic teaching of forgiving a person three times, but generously more than doubled it, which seems to indicate Peter is catching on, but only to a point. The three strikes you're out rule was not from Hebrew scriptures, but purely rabbinic teaching. Like I said, Peter seems to be catching on to his rabbi's teaching, but the problem is that he's only increasing the quantity. Jesus wants his followers to get onto an entirely different paradigm. Peter's question comes from a perspective of the law rather than of true forgiveness. He still wants to keep score. The irony is, the supposedly very generous allowance of seven offenses is one that has to keep track of the number of offenses, even as one is supposedly forgiving them. That's not forgiveness at all. That's the law. What do I mean by law versus forgiveness? I don't mean specifically the law of Moses, though that falls under this category. Nor do I mean strict law enforcement, though that too falls under this category. I'm referring to law as a way of thinking and operating where everything is by the book. Sort of like this alien society that I brought up in the introduction. Law is keeping score. Law must keep score because there's no other way under a law paradigm. Let's look at the law theme throughout Jesus' answer to Peter. Seeing the law up close helps contrast it with true forgiveness that Jesus is teaching. In response to Peter's law thinking, Jesus tells the story of a man who owes his king a huge sum of money. When the king brings him in to settle accounts, the man's response is a law response. Give me more time and I'll repay you everything. The servant isn't asking for forgiveness, just more time to make things right. Then later the servant runs into someone who owes him money, and that person also makes a law-based offer. Have patience with me and I will pay you. What does our main character do? He has that servant thrown in jail until the debt is paid. This is the law. Not only does the man have to make full restitution by paying off his debt, but because he is late, he must stay in prison until he does so. This was considered fair at the time because it was the law of the land. And the parable ends with the main character also being thrown in jail until his much greater debt is paid. This is all very neat and tidy according to a law perspective. Justice was served on those who hadn't paid their debts on time. This is what one would expect. There is nothing at all surprising in this. And Peter, even in his forgiving seven times, is still in this camp. Now let's go back and look at the competing theme of forgiveness in this parable and see where that leads. When the servant pleaded for more time to pay his debt to the king, the king didn't just agree to give him more time, he actually forgave the debt altogether. And out of pity for him, the lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
not only did the servant avoid paying off the debt, but he avoided jail time or he and his family being sold into slavery. Imagine how that would feel, having such a weight lifted. It would be like your bank calling and telling you, we're canceling your mortgage. You now own your home outright. There are two important points regarding forgiveness that are clearly demonstrated by this short parable. The first is that there's no room for forgiveness in the law. It is completely foreign. Surprisingly, the same is true of the law within a forgiveness mindset. That's actually what we see illustrated in the second part of Jesus' parable. When a servant who had been forgiven followed the law and had his debtor thrown in jail, the king called him wicked. Why? He was just following the law. How is this wicked? In this case, following the law was wicked because the king had acted from a forgiveness mindset and had expected his servant to do the same after being the beneficiary of forgiveness. Because the servant had failed to follow his king's example and act in forgiveness, the king then switched to follow his servant's example of acting by a law, a law mindset and withdrew his forgiveness, reenacted the debt, and threw him in jail. Granted, true forgiveness cannot be revoked, but this does illustrate for us the two ways of operating, law and forgiveness, and that they are mutually exclusive. The second point of this parable is that while forgiveness is free to the recipient, it costs the one who forgives. When the king of the story chose to forgive the 10,000 talent debt of his servant, he wasn't getting that back. One could argue that the king could afford to lose such money. He was still wealthy. That's true. But what about when you or I have something to forgive? It might cost us dearly. It could be financial, as in a situation where we could sue someone for the harm they have done us, and yet we choose not to. But most of the time, we are giving up power we had over someone who had done us wrong. By choosing to forgive, we are paying a social and emotional cost. Victim status carries a lot of cachet in these days. It seems like everyone wants to claim to be a victim of some sort. But once you forgive, you let the victimhood go. That also means you let go that excuse. You can no longer blame someone else for whatever you fail to achieve. Forgiving forces us to stand on our own feet. Like I said, there is a cost to forgiveness. There is also freedom in forgiveness. Letting go of the hurt that has been done to you frees you to move on. Even non-believing psychologists have come to this realization. An unforgiving spirit can eat away at a person from the inside. This should be no surprise, since it is God's will that we live in freedom. The freedom of forgiveness is just one aspect of this. However, because we fall short, we often choose to pay the price of forgiveness, but because we because we fall short too, we benefit from the forgiveness of others. 
I'm not arguing that the costs of forgiveness balance out, because that wouldn't be forgiveness then, would it? It would simply be a law mindset applied differently. Some people find it easier to forgive others, so ironic, or don't find it easy to forgive others. So ironically, there may be times when we have to forgive someone for their lack of forgiveness. It's the ability to give and receive forgiveness that prevents our society from being a police state where the law must be enforced on all agreements and all agreements must be formal contracts. That's not to say we don't need the law. Of course we do. Sometimes you hear about someone forgiving a person who murdered a loved one, but that doesn't mean that that murderer shouldn't still go to prison. It also doesn't mean that in cases where restitution is possible, that it shouldn't be sought. Actions of the law are separate from forgiveness and can operate with or without forgiveness. This parable teaches Peter and us that we need to leave the law mindset altogether and practice the way of forgiveness because true faith leads to forgiveness. Verse 35 sets up a formula that shows how forgiveness is integral to faith. Let me start by saying that the forgiveness of God was bought at a high price of his own son's life. God's forgiveness equals salvation. To be forgiven by God is to be saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus' death on the cross makes it possible for us to be forgiven. But we have to place our faith in Christ for it to be realized. That means we are only forgiven by faith. When verse 35 says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, it means that you cannot be saved if you do not forgive. This might be surprising to us, though none of us would bat an eye at hearing that you cannot be saved if you do not have Jesus in your heart. These aren't two separate requirements for salvation, but rather one and the same. Having Jesus in your heart inherently means that we are operating from a forgiveness mindset rather than the law. Obviously, this isn't saying we must forgive perfectly in all circumstances in order to be saved. God doesn't demand perfection. If he did, we would still be operating under law. But it is saying that by taking on Christ for our salvation, we are also taking on his nature, which is to forgive. This is why I reject the idea of those biblical scholars who say the authority to bind and loose that we talked about last week referred in part to deciding whom to forgive. Just because it includes the authority to remove someone from the congregation does not mean that we get to choose to withhold forgiveness. Today's passage makes very clear that forgiveness is a way of life that Jesus not only modeled for us, but requires us to live by, even in cases where relationships cannot be restored. Why is forgiveness essential to true faith in Christ? Because Christ is the king in the parable, and we are the phenomenally indebted servant. He forgave us the sin debt we could never repay, 
And if we are to grow more like Christ, then that includes forgiving others their much smaller offenses against us, just like in the Lord's Prayer. We cannot receive forgiveness and then turn around and apply law to those who owe us. We, too, must forgive. Either failure to do so is a rejection of Christ himself. But unlike the parable, Jesus is not only the king, but he went to jail and paid the debt on our behalf. He took the full sentence of the law upon himself so we could go free. Only in Christ do we see both the just requirements of the law fulfilled and forgiveness freely given. Our challenge then is to live into the reality of our forgiveness. It is so easy for us to plead like the servant, I will pay you everything. We prefer to try and earn our salvation as if we could. I think this stems both from a massive downplaying of our own depravity and a pride that wants to say, I deserve what I'm getting. Both are wrong. Both push us away from Christ. Forgiveness is the only way. We freely receive it. We freely pass it on. And forgiveness is probably one of the most significant markers of a Christ-following body. We generally don't stand out because we are more ethical than other people. While I hope that's true, there are many highly ethical non-believers. We don't try harder than others necessarily. But forgiveness should be a distinguishing marker that draws those on the outside because forgiveness is appealing. Not just the forgiveness of Christ, but forgiveness within the body. We should be quick to forgive and quick to apologize. But we can't will our way to living into forgiveness. It all starts with us accepting the forgiveness that Christ offers. We are doing that all over every time we receive communion. We are being reminded that Christ has offered for us forgiveness and we have no hope apart from that forgiveness. In eating the elements, we in true faith are rejecting the way of law that though just condemns us and accepting the way of forgiveness that our King offers. I pray that not only can we fully accept that forgiveness with joy, but then, in turn, grant our own forgiveness to others in the freedom that only forgiveness offers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.